You're listening to the Miami Dolphins Podcast Network. This is Drive Time with Travis Wingfield. Back to throw Tua, looking. Flips it down the wide open! <laughs> Touchdown, Tyreek Hill! How the hell is that, man? I really hope you soon jump on his bandwagon. Waddle, waddle! Tua, shotgun, back to throw, looking, steps up, fires, touchdown! Okay. It's Waddle! His sixth touchdown Six pass touchdown of, of the day. Drive time with Travis Wingfield begins now. Let me check your pulse if you're not fired up. What is up, Dolphins, and welcome to the Drive Time Podcast, part of the Miami Dolphins Podcast Network, covering your team, your Miami Dolphins. How's it going, everybody? I am your host, Travis Wingfield, and on today's show, it's another Thursday, another game preview. We're taking a look at the tape and the stats to break down Sunday's 1 o'clock kickoff against the Cleveland Browns at Hard Rock Stadium. We'll go position by position, matchup by matchup. We'll give you three keys, tell you what's at stake, and we'll make the Week 10 picks across the National Football League. From the Baptist Health Studios inside the Baptist Health Training Complex, this is the Drive Time Podcast. That's another Miami Dolphins The Cleveland Browns, a team we have not seen since 2019, a comfortable Browns win in Cleveland in that game, and that was a team that was in a particular phase of a rebuild that began in earnest with that 2018 season, a couple of top five draft picks, but it went back well before that. Remember that was a team that had the second pick in 2016 and wheeled it to the Eagles for Carson Wentz and collected a bevy of draft picks in return but almost none of them worked out. That was where this idea of like Moneyball integrating into football and you know kicking the can down the road and pushing your assets into the future became this thought of like, oh, that's taboo. That's not going to work. And then we saw the Dolphins do it, and it worked just fine in 2019. But that draft class was why that idea with great process and poor results became basically what analytics is now, where everyone just says, you know, Oh, analytics, I don't like those because I don't understand them. But Corey Coleman, uh, Corey Coleman, Emmanuel Ogba didn't work out there, but now we know what he can do. Carl Nassib, Sean Coleman, Cody Kessler, Joe Schobert, Ricardo Lewis, Derek Kindred, Seth DeValve. That's just rounds one through four in that draft class. And then they had four fifth-rounders and a seventh-round pick. They did get Rashard Higgins out of that, to be fair. But then in 2017, they pick first again after getting a miracle December win to stave off one winless season. But they were right back in the saddle the following year going 0-16. They bottomed out in 2017 without winning a football game. They take Baker Mayfield number one overall and go into 2018 with Hugh Jackson somehow, but he was then relieved in week eight after a two and five start and they finish out five and three under Greg Williams. That doesn't seem to add up. That looks like seven and eight, but whatever. Yet they promote Freddie Kitchens to head coach the next year and as a team with all kinds of hype and hope, didn't quite have the year I think they were expected to have. But then, as is often the case, and we talk about my predictions, 2021, I was very bullish on this Dolphins team. I was a year early. Happens a lot. Same with the Browns. Because 2020, they broke a two-decade-long playoff victory streak by drubbing the Pittsburgh Steelers in the postseason. Then they took the Chiefs to the brink, albeit against Chad Henney, in the divisional round playoffs. And from there, you might think that's the nucleus of their team going forward, right? All those high picks coming off you know, uh, coming of age, I should say, in their careers. 
but it wasn't. After that 11-win season under then-rookie head coach Kevin Stefanski, they take a pretty significant step backwards last season as Baker Mayfield played through that shoulder injury and in my opinion got entirely too much crap for the way he played you know through that injury as they falter to eight and nine then we get to 2022 and it's a massive massive shift they make a big trade for the worst person in football uh, they send Baker to Carolina they depart from Jarvis Landry after doing the same with Odell Beckham the year prior longtime Pro Bowl center JC Treader is part of that shift and they went to work shaping a new nucleus around some star talent the marquee name of that group being of course Miles Garrett the very first pick back in that 2017 draft he's one of the best defensive ends of all time the same year they landed Baker they got Denzel Ward with the fourth pick in that year's draft although as much as I liked Baker coming out, Allen and Jackson were QBs one and two for me, and that's where the kind of going off course happened there. It's funny how one move can have a butterfly effect on the entire organization and the entire league as a result, because if you go with Josh Allen there, I mean, is Freddie Kitchen still employed? Uh, who knows? Is it still Hugh Jackson? Who knows? But uh, the same year they got Baker, they landed Denzel Ward. He's back to return this week against the Miami Dolphins after missing some time. He's one of the best young cornerbacks in football. So they've hit on some of these draft picks. On the other side, probably the best back in football with Nick Chubb, a second-round pick a couple of years back. And he never saw an arm tackle he couldn't slip. He's the crux of an offense that operates in a lot of similar principles to what we do here, but also utilizes a lot of tight ends, 12 and 13 personnel packages. They add gaps and let Chubb do his thing to work off that play action game. And the offense is somewhat tailored to what Deshaun Watson does in terms of, you know, big play hunting. And they have, you know, not a dollar store version, but a lesser version of Jacoby Brissett doing that same idea. But at least Jacoby's a good human being. They remade the receivers room around a great trade this offseason for Amari Cooper, sending a fifth and sixth round pick to get a very talented wide receiver. A recent day two pick in the uber athletic Donovan Peoples-Jones and another day two pick in a rookie this year in David Bell. So it's Jacoby Brissett holding down the fort before the return of that starter, and he wants to be a big play hunter off the play action game as well. Finally, the strength of their football team where the resources have been poured in year after year is the offensive line. They drafted Jedrick Wills in the first round the same year they signed Jack Conklin, and they have arguably, in my opinion, it's not that arguably, the best guard combination in the National Football League with Joel Batonio and Wyatt Teller, and they made that known by giving both those guys massive extensions before they could hit the open market. So strong in the trenches, typically playing, or technically I should say, playing their backup quarterback with a roster that has pivoted off an original rebuild that began in earnest six, seven years ago. Let's go ahead and see where the results have produced here heading into 2022 in the second half of this season. So the Dolphins offense versus the Browns defense and the quarterback to Atunga Bailoa and the Dolphins offense versus the safeties and that Browns defense. Miami enters this game with the hottest quarterback in the National Football League. Hey, he's playing pretty well too. <laughs> you know the numbers on Tua by now. The Browns defense is getting some reinforcements for a unit that started off inauspiciously but has really rebounded recently. The eighth top ranked pass defense, number 14 against the run and 14th in fewest yards per play. Structurally, Pretty good mix. Two high looks is 243 snaps. One high look is 203 snaps, and they've played cover zero 24 times. So 50% too high, uh, 
45%, one high, and the rest cover zero. They play their base 4-3, 31%. That's a big number, a big chunk there in that 4-3 base. They go nickel 54%, and they have one of the higher dime defensive package usages in the NFL, 11% with six defensive backs on the field. And watching the last couple of games they played versus the Bengals and Ravens, they tend to change the picture post-snap with some rotation. They almost always start off in that two-high look, and then one safety will buzz down and try to rob the crossing routes, run the seam, come from depth on hooks and curls, things of that nature. Essentially, think about what Rashad Jones did here for years. It's the same type of principle there. Ultimately, they get into their deep thirds look. Cover three, one defender for each of the deep thirds, and they've got some pretty good players doing it. They run two safeties out there on just about every snap, Grant Delpit and John Johnson, and then Ronnie Harrison's the big nickel who packs a punch and factors into the run game like a linebacker, former Alabama Crimson Tide and Jacksonville Jaguar, I believe. Uh, Grant Delpit is fifth on the team with 13 run stops. There was a great clip of him trying to come from depth and put a stick on Joe Mixon in the C-gap in that Monday night game, and he read it and got there well, but then he got ran over like a... (laughs) like a speed bump. Uh, That was a pretty funny rep. Uh, Johnson is tied for sixth on the team with 10 run stops, and then Harrison has a pair of them. They don't call on him a whole lot, just 114 snaps and 41 within rundowns. Uh, With all the DBs they deploy, it's mostly cornerback heavy, so not a lot of safeties in the field. More on that here in the next position group. But their pre-snap alignment for the two primary safeties, it gives you an indicator of how they want to play. Delpit has 282 snaps down in the box on the line in the slot position versus 213 at free safety. And then John Johnson has 180 inside and 312 at free safety. So typically John Johnson is the guy that rotates to that center field position in that typical cover three or man free, which is man coverage with a single high safety look. So that ultimately tells you the short perimeter portion of the field is going to be where you kind of can attack. We'll get more into that here in just one second, but it's really, you know, a little less pick your poison. You typically get what you think you'll get in terms of the rotation and Delpit wants to come up and hit. And given how Miami has attacked the middle intermediate portion of the field, I think he's the guy you play off of. You might remember him in college. He was a big splash play guy that relied on taking chances and arriving with a try-hard mentality and a motor that doesn't quit, which is a great trait, but it hasn't quite worked out in the NFL because these are the best athletes on the planet. I think you give him some cheese and you play off of that, and you can continue to work the middle of the field and potentially spring some big runs after the catch since the man out of position, if he is in that position to be out of position, is one of the last two lines of defense. We haven't seen a lot of that, a lot of that this year against this Dolphins offense, where one of the primary, you know, force defenders, the rat in the hole, is that strong safety coming up because typically teams want to keep those safeties off the field or you know off the line because you have 10 and 17. So against the Bengals, who run tons of motion as well, there was all kinds of pre-snap shifting and rotating to counteract that motion. That's typically your indicator for the quarterback. And with the way Tua has been seeing the field, both pre- and post-snap this year, his opportunity to execute with that approach could potentially be there in this one as well. I tend to think it will be. And off that, we've seen the peril this offense can cause for opposing defenses and that man coverage. You get your man looks, you take your shots to this explosive receiving core. I also think one of Tua's best balls that he's thrown, or that he does throw, I should say, is the quick setup deep shot to the boundary, the short side of the field, or the slot fade to the field, just condensing how far wide that ball has to go. Think about that waddle touchdown against Detroit. That was a slot fade to the field. The reason I bring this up is that they played the Bengals one-on-one to the boundary and rolled the safety to the field against that press coverage with off coverage to the boundary. So 
you, you have your chances to take what the defense gives you short to that boundary with that off coverage. Now, granted, that was with Jamar Chase not in the lineup, but if you get these looks on Tyreek and Jalen to the boundary, you take them, like whether it's a hitch, whether they come and they, they press on that hitch, double move and go vertical, take those chances when you get them. It's lots of man coverage, lots of cover three, lots of man free, but I just can't see them staying with that man coverage because, I mean, why would you against these receivers? And when they get to that zone coverage, like, here, go to Twitter and type in Delpit in the search bar and see what the search shows you. Fans of the Browns are constantly complaining about mix-ups and blown coverage there, and it shows on tape too. And, the, you know, the Twitter search will find tweets that say, like, why is Delpit always barking with his hands up after big plays? Pretty common occurrence there. So I think the offense, should they keep executing, will have another big day. It just might look a little different as they'll probably rely heavily on that cover three with the wide nine four-man rush looks that tends to open up the short outside passing game. But as we've seen with this offense, we can stretch the hook backers and displace them and still work that middle part of the field. Having three deep cover guys makes you one man light in the intermediate, and that's a bad mix against the way this offense is playing. All defenses mix it up, but they do play man coverage more than most. They do play uh, with a lot of cushion as well. In fact, NFL True Media says they play press 31% and off coverage 69%. Nice. But also, back to the tape, they'll vary it a lot. So you'll get pressed to the side, uh, to one side with help, and then off to the side that they slide away from. And that variation between the boundary and the field is kind of how they call it. So for Tua and what he's been sharp with all year, keep those safeties, you know, key on those safeties and make those quick decisions based upon the movement and leverage of your conflict defender which I think is Grant Delpit in this game. We'll need another big game and a sharp game uh, with a great game plan here from quarterback one. Some coverage stats, John Johnson, uh, 10 of 18. Our team's targeting him for 114 and a touchdown on 283 coverage snaps. That leads all safeties on their team. Grant Delpit, 13 for 18 with 242 yards. See the difference there? It's a big, big difference. Two touchdowns and a pick on 279 coverage snaps. And then Ronnie Harrison, two of three, 22 yards on just 66 coverage snaps. I asked Coach McDaniel about Joe Woods, Browns defensive coordinator, on his Wednesday press conference. Here's what he had to say about Joe Woods telling you about the cover three and wide nine pairing together. Great stuff here from Coach McDaniel. You know, it was, it was, it was a cool part of the process because he, you know, it was a kind of a minor football evolution at the time. Um, there was a Seattle Seahawks, um, you know, uh, Pete, Gus Bradley, all those guys um, came up with the Seattle three deep. Um, or, uh, and just literally did that, nothing else, and crushed people for a decade. Um, and then we had faced a, uh, you know, in our history, we'd gone, we were um, the, the wide nine, four-man front, penetrating defense. Tennessee was uh, kicking our butts in uh, Houston back in the uh, late 2000s. Um, and then they went to Detroit and all that. But we, it, under Kyle Shanahan, Kyle kind of wanted to do to meld those two. So Joe Woods was a part of that. Um, and it was a, such a cool part, process to because you have to problem solve. You know, it may not seem like a big deal, but um, in terms of gap integrity and how, how you um, rule out your defense, it was a big deal. And um, being there with him and seeing how – um, he was such a problem solver in that process, um, while also having a disposition and energy that uh, that 
players gravitated to. Um, I had heard about him um, since I was like probably 2013 because him and he, Raheem Morris would always do an impression of him. Um, so I like knew of him for like seven years before I met him. And he, uh, but he lived up to the impersonation and the buildup. And you can see the influence that he got from his time in San Francisco, which was just one year. So it wasn't like that was where he originated. But, uh, you know, Robert Sala, Chris Kusarik, and of course, Joe Woods, that one gap, play with your hair on fire, ideally pressure with four, but also mix in plenty of blitzes. Speaking of blitz rate, they come at 25.7% rate. That's the 15th highest in football, one of every four uh, pass rush snaps. Their pressure rate is 19.8, which is 22nd. So, the last few teams we've played, it's been blitz rate lower than pressure rate. This is the first team we've played in a while where it's the converse of that, which is not a good thing for your defense. I also have to imagine that blitz figure reduces this week because two has been killing the blitz, but he's also killing non-blitzes too. So we will see. As far as the receivers and tight ends versus corners, back to that Bengals game. I mentioned the 70-30 split with off coverage versus press. You can essentially trace that to third downs. If it was third, medium, or long, they were in man and they were pressing. Now, last week, we saw some of the same, and that's where Tua gets really aggressive and hits some of the biggest throws he's had all year, right? It's been fun to see them not just convert, but get splash plays and score touchdowns on third downs, which is how you wind up with a 147 passer rating, the all-time best in the history of the National Football League. And speaking of that, in terms of adjusted net yards per attempt, going back to 1972, it has the best all-time for a third-year quarterback. So enjoying literally the greatest breakout season for a quarterback in the history of the National Football League. And it's been a bit of a struggle for the Cleveland Browns as they incorporate, you know, this system of Joe Woods here with this new look defense that kind of changes year to year because they've just had medical issues that haven't given them consistency in that part of the game their best guy you know Denzel Ward missed three games Greedy Williams has missed five games they did get a hit on their first round pick in 2021 with Greg Newsom the second who has the flexibility to play both inside and outside but ideally he's their slot guy and then Martin Emerson has been getting most of the work out of anybody he's played the second most snaps in the cornerback room behind Newsom and the fourth most in the entire defense real quick before some stats just watching the tape they would often press outside and play off coverage on the inside is where you might bring a cat blitz a cornerback blitz and fill that with safeties or linebackers or sometimes they just straight up trust their safeties and linebackers and coverage not unlike what we saw with the Bears where Jack Sanborn wound up one-on-one against Tyreek Hill that's where the ball goes there because duh But again, that's without Ward and with Newsom playing out wide. When they have all of them, Newsom will come up and press the slot as well. The stats of these guys, Ward this season, 16 for 25, 293 yards, a touchdown and a pick on 162 coverage snaps. It's been a down year for him when he's been healthy. Newsom, 21 for 32, 226 yards, one touchdown on 271 coverage snaps. So he's played pretty well. And then Emerson is a 28 for 45. It's a good completion percentage there for him. 253 yards, a touchdown, and 234 coverage snaps. Weird that Ward has the worst stats of the three there. He's the best and most talented player. But as far as the man coverage and a big reason why it works... Few corners are more athletic than Denzel Ward. It's a marquee matchup when he draws either Tyreek or Jalen if he plays. A crazy stat on him. Out of college, he had an athletic score uh, via next-gen of 95-plus and a production score over 85, which grades your college production. Only nine corners can say that going back to 2003, and they are Ward, Pat Sertan II, Marshawn Lattimore, Shaquille Griffin, Jalen Ramsey, Trey Waynes, Jason Verrett, and Aqib Tlaib. There's Hall of Famers in there. There's Pro Bowlers in there. There's All Pros in there. 
couple not, but you get the idea. So if they call upon Ward to win one-on-ones against our guys, that might just be the matchup of the game. Let's see how he did against some other guys that feature uh, such speed and athletic ability. Deontay Johnson for the Steelers, 6 for 10 with 75 yards. He was the only guy that went up against Ward that day. And he also dropped a massive completion downfield, so it should have been 7 for 10 with like over 100 yards. Now, he did shut down Drake London and Demir Bird with the Falcons the next week. Three targets, no grabs. And against the Chargers, he covered Williams, Carter, and Palmer to the tune of 5 of 6 for 89 yards. It's been a tough year for him. Honestly, look at their schedule. Panthers, Jets, Steelers, Falcons, Chargers, Pats, Ravens, Bengals, Sands, Chase. They haven't seen anything close to what they're going to get here in Miami. So with that weather... And Ward just hasn't had the year you've grown accustomed to. Maybe the bye week gets them going in the right direction, but there have been busts and big passing days racked up on them. I think their passing defense numbers are skewed by the opposition because the Ravens run the ball relentlessly. They had 160 uh, rushing, but threw for just 94 in that game. They won. The Bengals without Chase, obviously a different team. The Patriots rolled up 301 passing yards. The Patriots and the Chargers and their struggling group went for 227. Falcons, Steelers, Jets, Panthers, they just haven't been tested like they will be this Sunday. We've seen the Dolphins do a masterful job spreading the football around the offense, rotating the skill groups and maximizing matchups, and just effectively moving the football any way they can. If we can keep executing at that same rate, we put the onus on the opposition to react. And of course, it's of paramount importance to get wins in this next group to allow the skill group to to flourish. Offensive line versus defensive line. Let's take our first break and come back and do that next here on the Drive Time Podcast. Your host, Travis Wingfield, brought to you by AutoNation. Are you on the hunt for a new home this spring, but don't know where to start? Fisher Homes is your solution. Your new home should reflect you from the front door to the kitchen and even your outdoor space. Start your journey by selecting your ideal home site, like in a cul-de-sac or that's tree-lined, and then choose from a variety of expertly designed floor plans. Bring it all together at our Lifestyle Design Center. Let Fisher Homes be your new home solution this spring and start making memories at fisherhomes.com. Takes us 25 minutes, 20 minutes to get through just two position groups, but that's what we do here. It's an in-depth podcast, and frankly, I'm enjoying it more this year than I ever have previewing games because I look forward to these games this year so much. We look at the offensive line versus defensive line. One of the best players in all of the National Football League exists in this position group for the Cleveland Browns, and they will take, or they will base, rather, their entire pass rush plan around him, Miles Garrett. Not many teams have a left tackle like Teron Armstead, but even with a star to offset their star, it's never a bad idea to vary your looks against him. Last week, we saw Ingold factor in as he tends to do with chips, scan protect, come across the formation on split flow action, things like that. Everyone has to be hyper aware of where 95 lines up. They'll move him across the formation, and it doesn't really matter where he is. He finds a way to disrupt things. They've also activated Chase Winovich off the IR this week. Jadavion Clowney is there, and he's actually outrepped by Alex Wright, 260 to 190 in terms of snaps played, but Clowney has him outproduced. 13 pressures on 121 pass rush snaps. That's nothing special. Seven run stops on 67 run snap downs. That's actually pretty good, and that's what Clowney's been his whole career, a great run defender. Wright has just eight pressures on 157 and five run stops on 100 run down reps. That's, those are both not good. And then fourth at the position is Isaac Rochelle with six pressures and six run stops. So it's really it's kind of a one-man deal off the edge here. 
in terms of the production they have, I think there's more talent than the production they have. Seth Walter of ESPN does these great pass rush productivity charts where he measures double team rate and pass rush win rate. And this is going to tell you exactly how this pass rush works. It's all Miles Garrett for the most part because Garrett and Micah Parsons have actually forced Seth Walter to expand that chart. Nobody is doubled at a higher rate than Miles Garrett, and he's also second in pass rush win rate. So even if it's Teron, I would help there and trust your rest of your guys to beat kind of, you know, mundane pass rushers on the year Garrett has 41 pressures on 224 pass rush snaps that's the best PRP pass rush productivity in the AFC it's second behind Micah Parsons in the NFL he's also got 15 run stops on 132 rundown snaps he's a perennial defensive player of the year candidate teams have really instituted a go away from Miles Garrett philosophy in the run game I mean it tracks Baltimore ran the ball 19 times at the opposite edge that Garrett played New England had seven runs left of center were in a game where Garrett played 90% of his snaps on that side, they had 22 right of center. Like, don't go to 95. That's what teams have done, and that's, you know, that's how they've attacked it. They are a solid run defense group, though. They are bigger body guys that can play that one-gap penetration style, and they have an uber-athletic linebacker group at that second level. So we've seen the Dolphins do well to stretch out those bigger lines and test the conditioning with their own outside runs. I thought Jeff Wilson's added element of physicality was a thing of beauty last week with the combination of he and Raheem really expanding this offense and how much space opposing defenses have to be wary of. We can do that stretch play outside. We can get to the toss and bring it back inside with Jeff Wilson. Got to be prepared for all of it. And off the edge, I think you just, you know, I would trust Tehran against anybody, but I would also think about backs and tight ends chipping and helping just to just slow him down like one little bit before you get into your route. And then Brandon Shell playing so well, particularly against those body types. You know, Clowney's a six foot five, two sixty guy. Alex Wright, two uh, six five, two sixty seven. Isaac Rochelle, six three, two eighty. Isaiah Thomas goes two sixty six. So the bigger body guys, Shell has really handled them this year. It's the speed rushers that you uh, he's, that have got him a couple times. But frankly, you know, our tackles have dominated each of their matchups the last three weeks. And on the inside, it hasn't been a whole lot of different, much of the same. For Cleveland, there are three primary guys on the interior. Jordan Elliott's a 70% snap taker. Taven Bryan, 60%. And Tommy Togiai, the former Buckeye, whose game I loved, is a 30% snap taker. Elliott and Taven Bryan both have 14 pressures each, six run stops and five run stops. And then Togiai, two pressures this year and four run stops. The, the production's not there. So Elliott and Bryan, again, that outside zone running system, try to get that rotation into the third or fourth guy. That's the idea. This might be the most fascinating matchup to me because you heard Coach mention that wide nine thought with the pairing with the cover three look. That entails one gap upfield, beat your man to the point. Well, we also play a style that fires off the football too. So if you can consistently thwart those rush attempts, you can gash them because they're going to be out of position. But that's much easier said than done because if they consistently win, it'll be tough to get anything going with guys flashing color in the backfield on our backs with constant disruption. It's a great battle inside for Connor Williams to keep his terrific season going, cutting off the pass, leading blocks out wide. Big test for him. And then with Rob Jones, I think his sheer mass shows up in this game. He's got to play a little better, but in terms of his body style against this team, it, it, it bodes well. Just having, you know, just having him help on chipping before climbing could be an integral part. And that's true also of Rob Hunt. And then, of course, you get Rob Hunt's, you know, penchant for five or six absolutely devastating blocks per game, which is fun to watch. If, you know, it weren't for this staff just having answers to most everything, I think this matchup would scare me quite a lot, but I have the faith 
the faith I have in utilizing those guys' aggressiveness against them, you know, incorporating wham blocks, false keys, and pullers, line slides. And then if they stay in that wide nine, man, inside zone with Jeff Wilson, with those toss plays going inside, those could consistently pop for big gains. And then Jeff Wilson dropping his shoulder against, you know, undersized linebackers and safeties. So finishing up at the running back and linebacker spot, I really – you know, going to be monitoring the availability of JOK, Jeremiah Wusu koromo because he's one of the best linebackers in football. It looks like he won't go. He didn't practice on Wednesday. Uh, the Browns, when they're healthy, have a great linebacker group, but he's out potentially. Anthony Walker's out for the year. They traded for Deion Jones to replace him, and that was an interesting swap because Walker's B-gap to B-gap type of thumper like Landon Roberts, Deion Jones is more in that Jerome Baker mold. And in that Bengals game, they brought their back out wide for some snaps to see how Cleveland reacted, and they would run the backer out there. They'd vacate the middle of the field and play man coverage, and they took one vertical shot to Chris Evans from that look, and I'm thinking, Raheem can do that. One way to attack aggressive defenses is with screen game, so a well-timed screen call could pay dividends if we you know, can identify it and get to that look. I could see some big screens popping this week. Uh, in, in the absence of JOK and Walker, it's been Sion Takitaki, who's played 85% of the snaps. He has five pressures on 26 pass rush snaps, so he doesn't really come very often, and 15 run stops. He's a pretty, pretty smart player. Deion Jones is getting ramped up more and more, played 77% of the snaps last game, but only has 74 total snaps this year. Tough to get acclimated completely, especially against an offense that does all this stuff. And then Jacob Phillips has been on the IR, but he's played 70% of the snaps, 17 run stops on 151 snaps. We'll see if he can come back this week. Those three in coverage combined, 30 for 36 for 355 yards. So backs in the passing game, big key this week. We've seen the Dolphins' backs get involved you know, at various points. Could be a big-time matchup here in terms of the run game to help slow down their pass rush, but also trying to cultivate some of those matchups one-on-one in that passing game. Taki Taki plays on 100 at all times, and then Jones, like I mentioned, the pure speed. I wonder if he'll be more involved in their pass rush plan than he has been coming off the bye with some more time in that defense. He was great at that in Atlanta. Going over to the Dolphins' defense versus the Browns' offense, the quarterback and offense of the Browns versus our safeties. One thing that has really piqued my interest of late is time to throw of opposing quarterbacks and how much time our pass rushers are taking to get home. The great Kyle Krabs of Locked On Dolphins and the Draft Network shared the Mooney touchdown when Phillips put a hit on Justin Fields. The ball was out in 2.2 seconds. If you get the ball out as a quarterback in under 2.5, or I should say if the rusher gets home in under 2.5, that's a pass rush win. I mean, what more can you ask of a guy? Trying to factor other variables that said rusher cannot control, like coverage, <laughs> I, I don't get it, man. It's a fruitless endeavor, but, you know, we do what we do. And the reason I bring this up now is that, number one, the Browns' pass game is built off of one of the game's best ground games, so you get some deep, deep drop play actions to search for one-on-one matchups in the vertical game. And then number two, even on non-play action passes, that's been Brissett's style his whole career. We saw it last year. He can shake tacklers and extend because of his size and balance, but it's the, not the 4-4 speed we saw last week. His 2.91 time to throw this year is the seventh longest in the league. He holds the ball longer than all but six quarterbacks. Now, granted, Fields is sixth last week, but again, it's different because field scramble ability where he can sidestep and flush and loop around and attack the line of scrimmage with the ability to throw and run, that's always going to take more time. Like, for instance, the other quarterbacks on top of that list, Zach Wilson, whose first instinct every single play is to run backwards 75 yards, that's always going to take some time. Daniel Jones is pretty athletic. Lamar Jackson, Marcus Mariota, Taylor Heineke is kind of in that Zach Wilson frame as well. Then you get to Fields and then Brissett. So it's like a, a the, the Island of Misfit Toys, Brissett is the one, is 
the one that's like the most misfit of that group. Then the next quarterbacks are Herbert, Wilson, and, and Bailey Zappi. So lots of pocket mobility and scrambling ability there. That's why my you know bold prediction this week is that the Pats are just going to go ahead and get off this week. I think that the Dolphins can build a lead and make them a little bit one-dimensional. You can wind up with a game full of sacks, which is what I think the pass rush really needs to head into the bye week, get their confidence going down the stretch. I think both Phillips and Chubb will get home this week and make an impact play. Contributing to that time to throw stat is the fact that Brissett just is not a rhythm quarterback. Again, you guys saw it last year, straight up eschewing open targets. And when he does play in rhythm, it tends to be late anyway. So sack opportunities, takeaway opportunities, they're going to be there this week. He doesn't anticipate at all. So if you can read his eyes, and as long as you just don't miss tackles on him, you can ruin their offensive plan. It's an offense that, again, doesn't fall far from our tree with Kevin Stefanski operating a lot of the play-action boots, plenty of 12 and 13 personnel, condensed formations, lots of shifting and motion, and giving the defense a lot to plan for. He's one of the top play callers and game planners in the league, and everything is based off the run game. So finding a way to get those stops on early downs as it is every week, more so this week, is absolutely paramount. They open the Bengals game in heavy personnel, elephant package, whatever you want to call it, six offensive linemen. And from there, they use just about every grouping imaginable. So for our guys, our staff, and our players, need to be on top of your substitutions and potentially be ready to get deep into the playbook with various fronts because half the time they're in 11 personnel, the, the most basic package, three receiver set, one back, one tight end. In 12 personnel, two tight ends, they're in that 18% of the time. 13 personnel, three tight ends, that's 7% of the time. And then they're in two back sets, 8% of the time, 21 personnel and 22 personnel, uh, five and 3% respectively. They've also got snaps in 03, which is no backs and three tight ends. What? And also 10 personnel, one back, no tight ends, and a pretty good chunk of heavy personnel as well, extra offensive linemen. Jacoby this season against the Blitz, 65%, seven and a half yards per pass, three tutties and two picks, not blitzed. 64%, 7.2 YPA, four touchdowns and three picks. I've been doing these deep dive podcasts for like seven years now, going back to Lockdown Dolphins. I've never seen someone's categories against the Blitz and not against the Blitz so identical. It's crazy. But here's the rub. When he's pressured, 46%, six and a half yards per pass, no touchdowns and four picks. So go ahead and make those extension plays because that's what we want him to do. When he's not pressured, 70%, 7.6 yards per pass, seven touchdowns, one pick. So again, Pressure with four, a big key here. How can Miami manufacture that? I found it interesting that in his three games with a passer rating over 100, they're all the division games, which is weird because he's a newcomer to the division, but the Bengals, Steelers, and uh, Ravens are the games. There's also a 98.9 passer rating game versus the Jets, and then the other four are all lower than 80. So it's Castle or Outhouse with him. And half, you know, what's the common denominator there between the Castle and the Outhouse? Well, the Panthers blitzed him 34%, the Falcons blitzed him 21%, the Chargers blitzed him 33%, and the Patriots 26%. So those two blitzing under 30% games, a 68 rating and a 55 rating. Don't blitz, maybe? Because the other blitz rates were 42, 35, 31, and then there was one outlier at 15%. So not as obvious as you'd hope, but definitely some comparisons there. And looking at that list, I mean, isn't the Patriots plan the one that makes the most sense? Like Josh Boyer says all the time, the similarities in the system, the four-man rush, play some coverage. See how many times Chubb, Phillips, Melvin, Van Ginkle, E-Man can win their one-on-ones. We need it this week. Flood the coverage with bodies and muddle that picture even more for Jacoby because 
You don't have to worry about the scramble ability. He'll put the ball in harm's way. And frankly, I like our matchups enough to get pressure with our four. As for our guys, I thought Eric Rowe was fantastic last week. Javon continues to have an evolving role that takes on different looks and different approaches each week. His range and ability to eye the quarterback could come into play here. I love when we get him camped in a position where he can just stand there, drive on the football, read the quarterback's eyes. Hopefully he gets one of those chances this week. Last week, we just didn't think the Bears could throw deep, and we were right. I mean, we knew that from the Thursday preview pod, right? I think it was like 8 for 32 for downfield numbers. Uh, same thing this week. Jacoby's 12 for 30, throwing down the field 20-plus yards with 13.9 yards per pass, a touchdown and four picks. That's a 59 passer rating. So maybe there's a formula of bringing up those deep zones a little bit, factoring those guys into the rush or into the hook zones and coverage. My game plan centers around not keeping Javon parked in center field and Bring him up and let him read the quarterback's eyes. Let him make a big impact. This feels like a game where our defense could restake their footing. Sacks from 15 and 2 off the edge. Takeaways from 8 and 25. Big key for me this week. Receivers and tight ends versus corners. Amari Cooper is a fantastic route runner. X has got to be on him for my money. I don't want to see a rookie on Amari Cooper. He's too good of a route runner. I, sh- I don't want to see Keon Crossan after the way the matchups went with Chase Claypool last week because Cooper uses his frame, excellent change of direction, and pure instinct and natural smarts to really create separation. And he's a great hands catcher who can pull in contested footballs. I'm curious to see if X draws him frequently because when he does get separation, great, but he doesn't do it very often. More on that in a moment. Donovan Peoples-Jones is insanely athletic. They will shoot him a couple of deep balls every game in those instances where he draws one-on-one matchups. That could be a nice test for uh, Cater Kohu should he be the one that draws DPJ. In general, the Browns are one of the lower teams in separation created from next gen, so holding up in coverage on those four-man rushes could potentially be the difference. That extra three-tenths of a second makes all the difference. There are coverage sacks aplenty to be had against this quarterback with the combination of receivers who don't separate. Amari Cooper is third from bottom this year. He's in Devontae Parker range, 2.2 yards average separation. And Donald Donald, People Jones, uh, 2.5 average yards of separation. That's 13th from the bottom. If David Njoku is back, I'm sure we'll see plenty more 12 personnel. Jesse James and Njoku was set to be some kind of two tight end set, but James is on IR. And Njoku returned to practice this week, but he hasn't been activated from IR yet. We'll see about him. Um, But Peoples-Jones is a 96% snap taker, Cooper 79%, David Bell 47%. Then you go Njoku at tight end, Austin Bryant and Farrell Brown have played a lot as well. It's an underrated skill group, and they kind of fit with Jacoby's strengths of keeping plays alive and going off script and winning contested balls. For our guys, plastering, not grabbing, and finishing plays. Don't pull guys by their hips and their waist and pull them down. Don't put us in that position again this week. X's pick last week was Vintage X. Didn't agree with the call, but I'm hoping we can snag one back in this game to get him on the board for the season. I think he matches up well here, and I'm curious to see what the Browns do inside with their slots and tight ends. It's tough to know without knowing which tight ends will play, but rookie David Bell plays in the slot 77% of his snaps. Then you get the two tight ends who check in between 30 and 45%, and then Cooper, Peoples-Jones are both in the high 20%. So you kind of know how it's going to go, where guys line up. You can dictate the matchups as a result of that. I was a big David Bell fan coming out of Purdue, but his athletic profile is no match for Cater. So Cater needs to have a big game inside on him. Uh, X got to shut down Amari Cooper, and then to me, you roll help to Donovan Peoples-Jones and help out your other cornerback there. I like the Dolphins' defense this week a lot, guys. Offensive line versus defensive line. This is a strength of the Browns' football team. This spot and their backs 
and it looks like their lines are getting healthier too. So Wyatt Teller missed the last two games, but he's been back at practice. Jack Conklin is back after missing some time as well. Teller and Benito are the best guard combination in football, and man, we got to come ready to compete against those guys. They can operate in space, they can win in a phone booth, and they can create those creases for Nick Chubb to exploit. They are averaging 6.6 yards running left of center, 5.9 running behind left guard, and 5.9 behind the left tackle. Uh, it's a big matchup for Sealer, who tends to play that side. I'm curious to see the bare front we deploy to take on those guys heads up. I should say head up uh, over the center and guards. It's a great matchup inside of one-on-ones. Christian and Zach have been great all year. So have Teller and Benito. So that's a big time matchup. And then with Raekwon playing the nose, continue to hold the point like he has, because if he can disrupt Ethan Posich, that will disrupt Batonio and Teller from getting out in space and operating wide like they do. So it's a big job for him up front to stack up bodies and get bodies to the party against Nick Chubb. And pass pro, uh, Jedrick Wills, 298 snaps this year, 21 pressures. It's a rough year for him. Joel Batonio is fantastic, nine pressures on 304 snaps. Postich has been good inside, 304 snaps as well, just seven pressures. Teller also has seven pressures allowed, but he's only played 195 snaps, so not been as good in pass pro. And then Jack Conklin, also very good, 214 snaps, just five pressures off that right tackle. Again, I say, this is the day that Phillips and Chubb go off. Multiple sacks for them is my bold prediction. Uh, Jacoby Brissett holds the ball too long, slow to get off the spot. Just please don't miss him. Don't miss these tackles. He's strong and can stay on his feet, but he's not getting away from anybody with his athletic ability. And again, Jedrick Wills, great rookie year at right tackle, not been good at left tackle. I think the Chubb narrative and how big that trade was will make itself out to be true this week with Chubb up against Jedrick Wills. We need that consistent pressure. We need hard edges from a group that has done well with that all year. Hopefully another week in the system for Chubb just makes him even more effective. I really don't know what to expect from a blitzing standpoint, but man, if we can get into third longs, those can create a lot of chances for this defense. And we do that by stopping the running backs versus linebackers, which is the best one-two punch in football. Now, the Dolphins have allowed just 200-yard rushers this year. Both of them are quarterbacks, Lamar and Fields, who, in my opinion, are two of the best quarterback runners of all time. Running backs average 55 yards per game against Miami. Chubb is averaging 105 per game, so something has to give. Chubb has outstanding contact balance. He's incredibly powerful, a smart and instinctive runner who always hits the right gap and has a tremendous relationship with an offensive line that has largely been together for a while now. Chubb has 51 forced tackles, forced missed tackles this year. He's averaging just a smidge under four yards after initial contact. And Hunt has 14 missed tackles forced and averages just three yards after contact. So a big drop-off there, actually, believe it or not. We saw a good mix of linebacker usage last week. It's a big week this week for Landon Roberts. We need his aggressiveness and tone setting to set the tone against this run game. They'll also screen to the backs, too, so staying rush gaps down and keeping eyes is a key. To me, it's a four-man pressure week, but we will see. I don't, I don't know. We'll see. Special teams, Cade York is 14 of 18. He has three misses from 50-plus, one from the 40 to 49 range, but he has three makes in each of those ranges, whereas Jason Sanders is 11 for 15. His three misses are from 50-plus and then one from 29 yards last week. Uh, Bjorkes, their punter, 25 kicks this year, 47.3 average. Morstead, 31 punts, 45.7 average. DVOA, Browns are 22nd in special teams. Dolphins are dead last. And I just realized I forgot to take my last break. Let's go ahead and do that here real quick and come back and tell you what's at stake and the three keys to victory. That's next Drive Time Podcast. Your host, Travis Wingfield, brought to you by AutoNation. Are you on the hunt for a new home this spring? 
but don't know where to start? Fisher Homes is your solution. Your new home should reflect you from the front door to the kitchen and even your outdoor space. Start your journey by selecting your ideal home site, like in a cul-de-sac or that's tree-lined, and then choose from a variety of expertly designed floor plans. Bring it all together at our Lifestyle Design Center. Let Fisher Homes be your new home solution this spring and start making memories at fisherhomes.com. What's at stake as the Dolphins take on the Browns 1 o'clock Sunday at Hard Rock Stadium? Look, we'll see what happens with Josh Allen's elbow and arm as we go along here. Perhaps we have some more news by the time you hear this podcast. They're calling him day-to-day right now, and we'll see about his status on Sunday. But gosh, if they lose to the Vikings and the Dolphins win, you're in first place. And the first throw after that shaking of the arm and forearm, the tingling, I know you feel in your arm on an injury like that. If he does play, it's going to be a lot of pain management and something to track the rest of the year, especially in that cold weather when it's tougher to get loose. Travis, why the hell are you talking about Josh Allen and our what's at stake right here? Well, because I thought the path to the division was closed when Tua went down and we lost three straight. But if Allen's messed up, it definitely opens that back up. The Dolphins are tied for the most wins in the AFC heading into the game. Everything we want is in front of us. Keep winning. The AFC is wild this year. You essentially have nine teams that would make the graphic we start seeing this time of year, right? Division leaders, wildcard teams, and in the hunt, the three-column graphic. One win separates the number one seed in the conference, Buffalo, who's ahead of KC by virtue of their tie at six and two, or their head-to-head win at six and two. And the number nine team currently in the AFC, the five and four Bengals, one win separates those teams. So what's at stake? A three-game winning streak, staying left of the in-the-hunt column, and keeping pace with Buffalo and the freaking Jets in, the, in our own division. Jets are off this week again, so a win allows Miami to leapfrog them in the division, and the Bills draw one of the top teams in the NFL, the 7-1 and Vikings. If it's Case Keenum, you feel pretty good about it. Otherwise, we'll see. But every week is big. This one's no exception. My three keys of the game, tackle, tackle, tackle. If you let Nick Chubb make big plays, It'll be tough. If you don't, you'll beat this team. It's as simple as that. Number two, create takeaways. The Browns turn the ball over a lot in their losses. They don't in their wins. Get your takeaways. Number three, keep Tua clean. If Tua is upright and throwing the football down the field, nobody can stop us. Let's do that and keep Miles Garrett at bay, and we should be able to get a victory. My week 10 picks, we are 90 and 41 on the season. How about that? 90 and 45. I can't count. I can't read. But it's going good right now. On Thursday night football, give me the Falcons over the Panthers. Give me the Bucks in Germany over the Seahawks. It's a long flight for the Seahawks going all the way over to Germany. Give me the Dolphins over the Browns. Give me the Bears over the Lions. I think Chicago is going to go on a run here. They're a good team, I think, at this point, even after trading off their best defensive players. Give me the Broncos over the Titans. I don't know about that one. If Tannehill plays, maybe I change that. We'll see. Give me the Vikings over Buffalo unless Josh Allen plays. But even then, I want to see how the arm looks. Give me the Giants over the Texans. Give me the Chiefs over the Jags. Steelers over the Saints. Don't feel great about that. Give me the Raiders over the Colts. Colts won't win a game the rest of the year. I don't know if they'll score a point the rest of the year. What are they doing? Give me the Cardinals over the Rams. Give me the Packers over the Fal- over the uh, Cowboys. Why am I doing that? I don't know. Give me the Niners over the Chargers, and give me the Eagles over the Commanders. All the Commanders in Washington. That's it for the podcast. You all, please be sure to subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts. Leave us a rating. Leave us a review. You can follow me on Twitter at NFL. Follow the team at Miami Dolphins. Check out the Fish Tank Podcast with Seth and Juice, our Wednesday night Twitter Spaces show last night. You can find the recording of that on my timeline. Also, our international podcast, as well as the postgame show, Every single Sunday after the game is over, me, Seth, and OJ breaking it down. Also, the YouTube channel for media availabilities, Dolphins Today, some fish tank and 
drive time content up on there as well. And last but not least, MiamiDolphins.com. Until next time, fins up, Caroline, Daddy's coming home.